I love Christmas. I hope you do too. But the fact of the matter is this, um, the Christmas season can be hard for some people for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons it can be hard is because of, um, let's just be honest, families, right? Um, it Sometimes we can ignore the issues that we have in our families, but during the holiday season, it's hard to do that because we have these, we superimpose these family gatherings upon the, the holiday season and and it's tough. And then what we do to make it even worse is we, we begin comparing our family to other people's families and say, we're so messed up. How come everybody else's family is so normal? Listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. The abnormal families are the ones that don't have a lot of conflict. Sibling rivalry, jealousy, and envy. I'm just telling you, I know that because after 30 years of having the privilege of being, getting to walk beside a lot of families because I'm a pastor, I know that the normal thing is brokenness, conflict, jealousy. So, if you're a part of an abnormal family that doesn't have a lot of that stuff go, going on, just count your blessings. And if you're a part of a normal family, join the crowd. Now, I share all that with you this morning because um, we here at Prairie Bible Church uh, have been, uh, we started last week actually on a journey as we moved towards uh, the celebration of Christmas. We are on a journey to discover some of the stories of the folks' whose DNA God used to bring us Christmas. Now, we forget in the midst of all that is Christmas that what Christmas is really all about, of course, is that God became one of us. God came, became a human being. He became a baby, actually born in a manger, who had, as I said in my prayer, who had become a man, die on a cross, and rise again. That is the meaning of Christmas, and that's what we're supposed to be celebrating but what I want you to do today, what I want to do in this, this season leading up to uh, Christmas is I want to take a look at some of the, the folks who got, whose DNA God used to bring us this great blessing. And as we started discovering last year, or last week, um, many of these people are messed up. They're, they're just messed up people. And quite honestly, I find that um, a a strange yet wonderful encouragement. The fact that God would use messed up people, just like you and me, to bring the greatest gift that the world has ever known. Because what that says to me is that God loves us no matter what. No matter how messed up we may be, God loves us. And he's willing to do whatever is necessary to, to um, express that fact to us, including using a bunch of messed up people like you and me to bring us that great gift called Christmas. So today, we are going to uh, we're gonna take a look at another one of these messed up people whose DNA God used to bring us Christmas. Um, in fact, the, the person that we're going to look at today is probably the poster child of family dysfunction. All right. So you've probably all heard the, um, the, the name Israel before. I'm guessing that you have. But my, but my guess is also that when you hear the name Israel, you probably think of the nation of Israel first. But before there was ever a nation of Israel, 
there was a guy named Israel. And before this guy was named Israel, or given the name Israel, his birth name was actually Jacob. And it's his story that I want to tell you this morning. Part of the story that you need to know about Jacob is that Jacob was a twin. But his twin brother was actually born first, which is important to the story too. Because back in the day, birth order was a big deal. If you were the firstborn son in a family in that culture, all the, the rights and privileges and possessions that belonged to the family went to you when, when dad died. So we know that Jacob had a twin brother, and his twin brother happened to be the firstborn, which is a big deal as you understand the story going forward. Well, it says in, in Genesis chapter 25, starting at verse 24, that when it came time for Rebekah, and Rebekah was Jacob's mom, by the way, when it came time for Rebekah to give birth, the first child she gave birth to was named Esau. Now, why was he named Esau? Were you paying attention to the scripture? He was named Esau because when he came out, he was covered with red hair. I was covered with hair when I was born too, my mom said. Wasn't a pretty baby. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> Esau was come, came out, and he was covered with red hair, so they named him Esau, which means hairy. So when you think Esau, just say, hey, hair, hey, hairy, right? All right. So then, immediately, right after, actually, while Esau is being born, Jacob is born. In fact, I see it is, he was literally born on the heels of Esau. He was actually, the scripture tells us, he was grabbing hold of the heel of Esau as he was being born. Thus his name was Jacob, which means heel grabber. <laughs> it's true. So you can you imagine? Rebecca, it's time for supper, and she says, hey, Harry and heel grabber, time to come home, clean, you know, wash your hands for supper. I was just thinking about this, I thought that would be funny, wouldn't it? So, that little element is really important to the story too. Because the fact that he was born grabbing hold of his older brother's heel was kind of a microcosm of their family dysfunction. Jacob was jealous. Their sibling rivalry was like off the charts in this family. He was jealous and envious and, and there was constantly conflict between the two. And most of it was caused by Jacob, by the way. Not all of it. I mean, Esau, whenever there's conflict in a family, there's two sides to every story, right? Whenever there's a relationship and there's conflict, there's always two sides of the story. But in this story, most of the conflict was caused by Jacob. I mean, that's, that's just the truth. In fact, it got so bad, his jealousy and his envy became so bad that one day, and this goes into the whole family dysfunction again, okay? One day, he and his mom came up with a plan to try to steal Jacob's, or Esau's birthright for Jacob. And when Esau finds out, he's furious, rightfully so. It became so conflicted, the family became so conflicted, as a matter of fact, that Jacob had to leave. There was, there was physical violence being threatened. 
So he had to leave, and, and he, he, so he left home never to return until this happened. He'd been gone for years. He had gotten a family. Um, and one night, the Lord spoke to him and said, Jacob, it's time to go home. Now, when he got this word from the Lord, there's part of him that was going, yes, I'm ready to go home. Because um, the relationships that he had built since leaving Esau, true to form, were kind of a mess too. Especially with his father-in-law, right? So he was kind of excited about the thought of going home, but he was also scared because he and Jacob had left on pretty bad, or he and Esau had left on some pretty bad terms. And he didn't know how his brother would respond if he came home. But by faith, he chose to listen to the Lord and go home to try to seek some kind of reconciliation. Well, it says, as the Bible story continues, it says that uh, they were only about a day away from this reconciliation or this meeting. And Jacob sent his family on ahead. And he says, you guys go on ahead. I, I need to spend some time here in this valley, in this, this canyon. And I need, to, I need to pray and I need to think about um, how to approach my brother. So, he's sitting there in some pitch black. It's nighttime, right? And out of nowhere, this dude shows up. It doesn't say dude in the Bible. I just said dude, okay? <laughs> this guy shows up, and you know what they start doing? Jacob and this, whoever this strange person is, they start wrestling, of all things. They start wrestling in the middle of the dark canyon somewhere. They wrestled all night long, as a matter of fact. Until, you know how the saying goes, darkest before the dawn? It was almost dawn, and they both realize it's almost on. <laughs> and it, it dawns on Jacob that this guy I've been wrestling with isn't just some guy. So before he would let him go, he said to this person, he says, um, would you bless me before I let you go? I'm not letting you go until you bless me. So it says in Genesis chapter 32, verse 28, right? Remember this? This was the blessing. This person, whoever it was. See, I think it was Jesus. Yeah. People can debate that, but I think it was Jesus. He said this was the blessing that he spoke over him. Because you have wrestled with both God and man, your name shall no longer be Jacob, which means heel grabber or also means there's a symbol for family dysfunction, sibling rivalry, envy, and jealousy. Can you imagine living your life with that being the moniker that was placed on you when you were born? No longer will that be what you are known for. For now you shall be named Israel. For you have wrestled with both God and man and prevailed. It's an interesting story, isn't it? You know, in fact, over the thousands of years since all that took place, I don't, I, there's probably been 
millions of sermons or, or um, attempts at trying to interpret that story that I just shared with you. If I was going to try to interpret it, I would say this. I actually think that Jacob, or Israel now, I guess is his name, I actually think that he had been wrestling with God and with man his whole life. And the man he had been wrestling with was himself. This, the human nature that we all possess. The sinful human nature that we all possess. He was wrestling with all those things we've talked about up to this point, right? He was wrestling with sibling rivalry and envy and jealousy. And, and he was willing, he, these things were so intense within him that he was willing to do whatever, say whatever to get what he wanted. Which, by the way, got him nothing but trouble his whole life. But after that night, Jacob was never, Israel was never the same again. And you want to know how I know? It, it's, it's, all, uh, it's all encapsulated, actually, in the, uh, the experience that he has with his brother the next day. Because the old Jacob, the heel grabber Jacob, would have connived, would have um, strategized to try to figure out how can I pull the wool over my brother's eyes so that he'll accept me back. But you know what he did instead? You know what the new Jacob did, Israel? He came to him with humility. He said, I'm sorry for what I've done. I've been a jerk. And I don't know if you could ever forgive me, but I need to take ownership for the brokenness that we have in a, as a family. Now, that was dangerous, okay, because number one, um, he had no idea how Esau was going to respond. You know, would he, was he still angry? Was he going to try to beat him up, kill him? But it was also dangerous because you know how it is when somebody kind of, um, when they find the courage to be transparent, to be authentic, and you say, you know, I'm taking ownership of my stuff. Remember before when we said it takes two to tango, right? He had no idea whether Esau would take ownership of his stuff or not. So saying, you know what, I've been a jerk, and I ask you to forgive me. He had no idea whether Esau would say, you know, I have been too. But he did it anyway. He thought, even if it goes bad, even if our reunion goes bad, when I wake up tomorrow and I look at myself in the mirror, I'm going to like the person that I see looking back at me. Maybe for the first time ever. By the way, if you've read the rest of the story, you know it was a great family reunion. Everything was awesome. It doesn't always work out that way in the Bible, but it did this time. So here's, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know about your families. Honestly, I don't. But if you happen to have any of those kind of things going on, if you have some dysfunction, 
if you haven't really been looking forward to the holidays because you know this thing's going on or this thing's going on or whatever, first thing I'm going to tell you is, I'm going to remind you, join the crowd. Everybody's got a dysfunctional family. But the second thing I want to remind you of is about old heel grabber. That there is hope if you find yourself in the midst of some kind of dysfunction with a family member or a friend, there's hope for healing and reconciliation. But I'm going to warn you, if you try to do this um, without Jesus, it's a mistake. See, one of the most beautiful things about the Christmas season is that, that Jesus is the reason for the season. It's not about presents and caroling and all those other things that we make it into or even family gatherings. It's about Jesus. And if you try to find that reconciliation and that healing by yourself, you're, 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 it's, you may have a problem. But if you try to approach this whole thing within the meaning of the season with Jesus, even if it goes bad, you win. And maybe for the first time on that day after Christmas or the day after your family gathering, you'll wake up and you'll look at that person in the mirror and you'll like them for the first time in a very long time. But don't you ever forget that for that to happen, it starts with Jesus. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we praise you. I want to say thank you, Lord, for putting up with messed up people like us and giving us hope in the midst of all of our dysfunction. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us like that. Thank you for, for uh, using people like us and like old heel grabber to bring the hope of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas to the world. And we do that through our prayers. We do that through just treating someone nice in the checkout line, through sharing the gospel, through word and deed. Help us, Jesus, to be someone like that in this Christmas season. And maybe we need to start with our family knowing that there is hope for healing and reconciliation when our hope is in you. In Jesus' name.